Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. And today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a better buying experience for your customers, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how you and your team can create a new stream of revenue, Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. The global leaders in refund protection. As an aside, make sure that you go and visit the Booking Protect website frequently as we have added a blog there and we're going to be constantly creating and updating content. Right now you can find a really great ebook that I did in partnership with uh, Booking Protects Cat Spencer and uh, the team at Future Ticks. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff around the bottom of the funnel, uh, conversions, uh, repeat customers, using data, um, all the things that you can learn and use as a Booking Protect partner. So there's some really valuable information there. We've got a couple of great ideas for other ways to deliver uh, information and content and valuable ideas to you. So visit www.bookingprotect.com and click through to the blog and you'll see tons and tons of great new uh, blog posts and ideas and eBooks and all really, really tons of good stuff. So check that out. My guest today, is a friend of mine, Stephen Glicken from Project Admission. He is the uh, CEO of Project Admission, and I wanted to have him on the podcast because he has like a lot of really, really interesting ideas. Um, we talked about, uh, spent a lot of time on the 40% of unsold tickets and how big of an opportunity um, the market for unsold tickets is. In Stephen's calculation, is $58 billion, which is a lot of money. Um, we talked about what Project Admission does, how it helps there. We talked about the timing of the ticket. We talked about, um, you know, allocation, distributed commerce, the value proposition of Project Admission. We talked about um, transferability. We talked about brokers. We talked about um, integrations. We talked about uh, large events. We talked about understanding the market. We talked about, um, you know, data, security, all kinds of stuff. Um, the proactive versus reactionary business practices. We got into a whole lot, um, and it was really great to get catch up with Stephen. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Stephen Glickett on The Business of Fun. Welcome, Stephen Glickett from Project Admission to The Business of Fun podcast. Stephen, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Um, you have done some awesome, awesome things. And what you're working on now with Project Admission, I think, is really cool. Um, but my first question is really, why Project Admission? Why now? Well, thanks, man. Yeah, um, I definitely have not been bored. Um, I've been pretty, I've been uh, pretty involved as we were speaking about uh, the other day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so why Project Admission now? Um, it, it really stems from the kind of last decade of my career working at uh, CrowdSurge and Songkick and, and heading up business development there. Um, you know, we were selling tickets in 70 different countries and, uh, you know, I was working with some of the biggest artists in the world and we were dealing with the entire supply chain from the venue to the ticketing company to the web platform to the mobile app to the promoter to the agent and 
you know, gave a very interesting perspective on the kind of global landscape and ticketing. Um, you know, ticketing to me is a, uh, it's, um, it's a very interesting time for ticketing. There's a lot of uh, potential for growth. It is, you know, from uh, the music perspective, it's, you know, the largest slice of the pie. Um, and yet there's a kind of disconnected market, the, the kind of flow of how uh, a ticket goes from purchase into event is, is kind of disconnected and the, the value is getting lost. And so, you know, I saw a space where we could layer in. Um, you know, we're in, we're in no way kind of trying to quote disrupt ticketing. That's not the approach. We're more about kind of connecting the disparate parts and, uh, creating a more kind of connected experience between the whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah. no, that's, a, I mean, it's interesting because I think, was it you who was talking to me about the, um, how big the opportunity is in tickets still? Because there's just still so much inventory that if you are able to solve some of the problems that you know complicate the ticket buying process, there's what I want to say like fifty billion dollars of unsold is it, or five billion dollars. I don't remember. It was a big number. It was a lot of billions. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was me <laughs> telling you. So yeah, there's a bunch of different pieces, right? Like there's the data. Typically, we don't know who's going into an event. We have a very limited kind of understanding of that. Um, obviously, that's a huge one everybody's pushing towards from a data perspective, but also from a security perspective. You know, and as we move more into mobile, where you know that piece gets evolved. Um, but as part of that, there's also kind of the secondary market, which is a dis- typically disconnected experience. Um, and so there's a ton of revenue that's being lost there. And that I think current market, depending on global or verticals, is you know somewhere between eight and fifteen billion dollars. Um, and then the last bit, which you were just mentioning was where, where I did the math, where you kind of, you go around and you talk to everybody and there's this 40% of unsold inventory is the kind of standard, uh, uh, the standard number that everybody throws around. And I've, I've vetted this pretty hard through a bunch of different ticketing companies, you know, finding out what they build on their platforms and what they sell. And that 40% number is pretty real, sometimes even bigger than that. Um, and if you size up the, the global market of, of sports, music, and theater, that 40% of unsold inventory is something like $58 billion in unrealized revenue. And, you know, there's, there's, there's all these threads we talk about, but the big ones that make the biggest splash are like the, I mean, there's the fraud, obviously, but there's the exploitation of a ticket relative to pricing for the hot events, which is a very, very, very small amount of the total events that have tickets for sale. So there's a there's a whole other part to this that is not just the the exploitation of like extracting the most value out of the ticket. And you, it's it's interesting you brought that up the exploitation of the ticket, especially for the hot events. And it seems that you know, and to me, if you ask me, it would be to the detriment of everything else. Is that all of the rules and ideas and laws and everything that everybody does is focused on that small small bit oh. of tickets, and, and it's just. It's it's really screwed up because it really does. It's um you know and anybody who listens and knows me knows that I'm completely comfortable with the secondary market. Got you know um, that's I, I worked there a long time, uh, but I'm friends with Gary Adler, who's the executive director of the National Association of Ticket Brokers, and he has a saying that he'll say to me almost every time we talk. Uh, it's called jumping over dollars to get to dimes, and that's sort of like a lot defines the tickets ecosystem now because you're so worried about all these hot events that you lose sight of the fact that there's 
billions and billions of dollars being left behind because we haven't solved some of these problems like demand generation or security or data or monetizing and, you know, cultivating all these things. It's like everything, right? It's reactionary, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. preventative medicine versus reactionary. uh, And, and, the, the, the current landscape in a lot of ways is built off of the reactions. Right. And the reactions are uh, – that, that is created because the, the way that a ticket is currently – the way that a ticket currently exists is effectively as a product, right? Like you drop these assets into the market and then they are detached and an individual a broker, whoever it is, could do whatever they want with them and the rights holder or the primary – effectively loses control over that. Right. And that's where this whole thing kind of exists. Yeah. And, and when it's detached as like the way you described it, right. As a product, it also does, it, it has moved into an area which I am really, really, really uncomfortable with, which is that the ticket becomes a commodity. Yeah. And, and you see that that's having a lot of unintended consequences. So there's, you know, one or two, 3% of the tickets that are hot. Right. And that, and that hot, However, it's defined is, again, like you said, reactionary because there's nothing necessarily driving it. It's just a, a matter of luck in most cases, right? Like, oh, my God, so you're the Washington Wizards, right? And LeBron James comes once a year, so you have a hot ticket. But that's luck. That's not anything you've done. It's just like a matter of chance. Um, and so all of these reactions, they, they, they feed this downward spiral where the ticket's a commodity, um, hot is a commodity, um, everything becomes a commodity, and – it's sort of driving a – it puts the it puts the industry in a bad position because, you know, consumers want experiences and we have them, yet we're not valuing them enough to show that this is unique no matter what it is you're going to see. Well, it's like particularly kind of going back to your point before from the secondary market perspective. Like you are – it's you're automatically pushed the, – the, the, the secondary market is automatically pushed as a bad guy given the kind of bad actors that are kind of floating in between. But, um, you know, for me, the reality is, and, and you're seeing it more and more, like I'm, I'm very happy to see like the past like year and a half or so, the narrative is moving this way, but, you know, it shouldn't be the primary and secondary market. It should just be the life cycle of the ticket. That's kind of where, where we're aiming to kind of move towards is like, this should just be the different points in the life cycle of a ticket. It shouldn't be blow it out on one side and have this other detached, uh, piece of the ecosystem extract value on another side, but none of those two, except in very like under the table or loosely connected ways, are speaking to each other. We should we should be using the power of these kind of I think great brands on the secondary market with right. great fan bases and great technology, but to have that connected into the primary, so there's not the kind of exploitation and the you know if. But here's the thing too, like going to the commodity piece. If the rights holder wants to treat it as a commodity. Let them treat it as a commodity, yeah. right? It's their, That's their job. That's they can do whatever they want to with it. Yeah, they just don't really have a choice completely, just given the current landscape. You know, yeah. Let me Sports ask, better than music, though, when it comes to this kind of thing. I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with that though, because this, you know, there's the sports do a lot of unwise things now, um, and you know, the and, diffusion that comes from sports that allows them to hold hands the secondary market more because like oh, an yeah. artist mm-hmm. you know it's their brand and they can't be in the current landscape because the secondary market is the bad guy they can't be seen to be dealing with that and extracting value out of their ticket in a way that you know these secondary markets do an amazing job of dynamically pricing right 
you know, and they can't really be seen to do that. But a sports team, it diffuses a little bit. And, uh, you know, they're, they're well, they're way more entrenched when it comes to, you know, the, the use of the exchanges and marketplaces. That I would definitely agree with. And, and it leads me to the question I wanted to ask, which is like, you brought it up too. It's like having a, just one market. And I know from, cause I did a, but not look, one company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. No. Um, but I did some research of, and what the research, you know, was limited. It wasn't like I did, went and did like some super, super huge study or anything. But I, I, I was just asking people in in the course of um, a couple weeks, you know, do they think of, you know, the primary and the secondary market as unique or they just think about buying the ticket and like it's just the ticket and they don't care exactly where they go. And more times than not, it, people, the consumers already bought into this idea of it's just one market. They don't really care don't, where they get the ticket. They just want the ticket. And if yeah, they have they to pay really a little care. more, sometimes fine. If they pay a little less, sometimes fine. They just, you know, it's just when they want to go, they want to go. And yeah. I don't know if your um, if you have any, if your research backs that up as well because I know it, if you talk does, to yeah. the primary side they'll tell you oh yeah no no the consumer does this this and this and I'll go well, that doesn't really jive with like the reality that I see. Well, but I'll, but it, it goes even more than that that the consumer literally doesn't know the difference of primary and secondary. It's I need a ticket. This is where a ticket is. Is this safe and secure? Am I going to get defrauded? No. Then cool. Ticket purchase. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I don't. I think it's even more so than like than, than any of that. It's just that, um, in some ways, the secondary market has a better brand than some of the primary uh, side vent, uh, sellers. Um, well, so, so they feel more comfortable going to StubHub or SeatGeek than they do to you know to those well, that'll rename nameless. So I don't offend anybody. I'll go a step further with that too, is that I think the secondary market is also better positioned for how people would want to buy tickets. Yes, you know, absolutely. Like who wants to be there at 10 AM on a Tuesday, six to eight months before an event to buy a ticket. It's like 10% super fans. And the rest are the people that are dropping it on the secondary market and selling a ticket the way most people would prefer to buy it. Right. That's exactly right. Um, I had Richard Howell from, uh, and I don't know if you know Richard, but he's in the UK. He's in Birmingham. And he was talking about like how tickets is just this only industry in the world that seems to make, like do everything because it's easy for the people selling the ticket, not because it's easy for the customer. And, and this is absolutely falls right into this. But you go back to like the ticket buying experience. I'll tell you this and they don't, they're not, nobody's paying me anything to say this. Nobody's, I don't even think I've had anybody from their company on here on the podcast. Um, but the best buying experience, if I'm buying a ticket, most in 90% of the cases, or 95 of what I bought lately has been SeatGeek. The SeatGeek mobile app is fantastic. Um, that's a full endorsement from Dave. <laughs> nice. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a huge fan of distributed commerce as well, right? Like I think things should be spread around. I mean, speaking of the UK, they do it well. Yeah. I, I do know Richard is a ticket factory, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. I mean, they do, they're an allocation based uh, market, right? Like they, they, for any on sale, it's in 12 different places. It's not just in one place. And they've shown, I mean, you look at what's the number one venue in the world every year is like the, the O2. O2, right? And so there's something to be said for the way that they, they move tickets around there. Yeah. And to me, I, I love the, you know, the way they do it because and mainly it's because of this, right? Like, so if you just have one partner that has the ability to sell your tickets, you are dependent on them and everybody else to be 
good marketers for you. And if they're not a good marketer and that's the only way you have place you have to go, you're screwed. Right. And that's, you know, seems to be the theme to me. And most of the things that are happening in the world of tickets is that everybody's forgotten the basics of marketing. <clears throat> well, it's, you know, it, but it boils down to the structure, right? Exclusivity rights and, you know, the way that you kind of enter into the market here, they, they, they try to capture it into one lane. And I'm with you there, right? It's like, I may be on Spotify, you may be on Apple Music. If you're only speaking to people on Apple Music, like you're going to miss everybody on Spotify. Right, exactly right. You got to you have to be you know, I don't necessarily know if you have to be everywhere, but you do have to be open to everyone so people can find you. Like, you know, these um it's like a paid podcast, right? Like I know a guy called uh um you know, I I know the guy called Tom Likas, right, who was was on uh, radio in L.A. And he went from, you know, doing drive time, afternoon drive time in L.A. to having a a stream, a live stream on his website. And now he's gone to do a podcast. And, you know, I always thought like maybe one of the, the, the problems with his business model was that everything was behind the wall. So it's like you got to tease out and give people a little bit of access so that they know you're there and know what you're get, know what you're offering. And then get them to pay pay you. And I think sometimes, like if you're if you're too focused on walling yourself off so that you can only go to one spot, then you are um, you're creating problems for yourself because you want to be able to to understand you, to see you, to have access to you, so they can know they want to buy buy you. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a question of like brand versus like distribution, also, right? It's like you could be creating a business to drive to have people come to where you are, or you can be going to where people are already. Yeah. And, and it, I think there's a blend. Yeah, you know? I think that you have to do a little bit of both. That's exactly right. So, but, so obviously you have you have strong ideas, like I have strong ideas. <laughs> so how do <laughs> who would have ever guessed? Um, so so how exactly you know looking through the lens of what you're working on a project project mission, you know how are you guys working to improve this the ecosystem? How how do you how do you what kind of changes are you trying to bring to the market? So the, the base proposition is around making the movement of a ticket post-purchase easy. So kind of the product is built to go where the river flows and allow transferability, but transferability in a way where it's kind of – it's like an airplane ticket with transferability. Okay. So when you're in our product, there's no, there's no downloads. There's no apps. There's no hoops. It's about making it really, really simple to move tickets around. Mm-hmm. Um, and not have it necessarily be exposed. So you're basically like swapping identity and creating the ways you can exchange it, whether it's like peer-to-peer transaction or free exchange or pushing into marketplaces. And the marketplace piece ties into the distribution side of things where there's both kind of, you know, white label or, you know, it's not white label. Um, that's, a, I guess, a bad term from the secondary market perspective. Branded marketplaces for the rights holders that they can dump into. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's distribution deals that we're doing across different marketplaces to kind of leverage those properties. Not not dissimilar from some of the barcode reissuance type scenarios that we see, but this is a direct pipe versus, you know, a ping back post-purchase. And so we're kind of leveraging all those properties. So the whole thing is, again, like tying a thread from the rights holder through to the exchange and, and transfer and marketplace resale of tickets back into the rights holder into the event. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about this to me, right, is that it just seems to me, 
again, because I know that I'm going to, as soon as I say this and I go, it should just be obvious. People are going to be like, Oh no, Dave, you don't, you, you don't understand. Um, it, but it seems obvious that you don't want to create an environment where all of the transferability and all the stuff's happening in the dark, right? Because that, you know, yeah, that leads to fraud. That leads to all these unintended consequences. It leads to any number of unintended bad consequences. That said, what kind of reluctance or pushback are you getting, you know, as you're trying to bring this to market? Because I know that there has to be some. So from okay, so there's budget. So from that particular lens, mm-hmm. we are not building this to negate those existing relationships and flows. Like okay. it's built to accommodate that. But in that accommodation, you're you're kind of aware of how the things are how the tickets are being moved around. Okay. So like we're we're not necessarily. I think the one person who gets maybe affected is a disconnected broker. Okay. They might get affected if a rights holder clamps down too hard. But again, we're not telling any of the rights holders to do anything with it other than here's your options. Mm-hmm. If you strict transferability, you want to cap resale, go ahead and do it. If you don't want to, don't do it. It's not. You know, set the fee structure you way the way you want to set the fee structure. You know, we're not really uh, we're not really dictating that. We're just creating the option for the rights holder. So I think from a a barrier to entry perspective, you know, it's it's all about inventory, right? And we built something that's a very very easy integration. You know, if we went to a ticketing company and the integration took three weeks, you would never in a million years <laughs> land any business. And fortunately, from the first clients that we're doing integrations with the their audit is a matter of hours. So okay. that's very, very good. Yep. But however, when we're integrated, it's pretty intimate, right? Like we become the ticket. So the barrier to entry is in the comfort of, of getting the integration in place uh, relative to value. And so, you know, the, the way that we've been kind of evolving is both from the ticketing company relationships as well as the rights holder side. And it's kind of a balance of those that want to use it and those that create the ability for it to be used. And that's been kind of our, that's the dance, right? And the, the pushback, come, the, the, the hurdle comes from the ticketing company side and the, the, you know, the thrust is coming from the rights holder side. Right. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a giant, super fun game of business development and chess. It, and, and I may be way, way, way off here. And if I am, let me know. But it would seem to me, though, that like the ticket platform should actually, and this may be where I don't know the technical ins and outs enough, um, would, they should embrace something like this because it would seem that it would allow them to, again, sell more tickets and to um, also do some of the stuff that, um, like we were talking about working with the secondary market earlier, um, do that a little more effectively, right? Because like instead of um, having to discount directly through like let's say Ticketmaster or Ticketfly or any of those, which you know anybody knows I hate discounts because it kind of destroys the value and drives it down mm-hmm. over time. Um, you could do that through like an app like yours or a, a discon- disconnect is not the right word, but like a, you know. A, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, to that to that point. Yeah. like part You understand the, where I'm going. Yeah. No, I do. Part, part of the way that we are setting ourselves up through the different integration partners is to kind of accommodate, particularly for like a large event, that balance, right, of revenue and volume, which is a balance, right? And those things are often kind of in conflict for really big rooms. And it's you, you kind of have the moments of, uh, of extracting more value out of the price, and then you have the moments of 
let's just make sure that we get people in the room. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of, we're, we're helping to accommodate that. And there's, you know, you have to accommodate for brand diffusion relative to that, right? Because you don't want the consumer to feel like if they just wait, they're going to get a cheap ticket. Um, but you also need to get butts in the room. So there's, there's, uh, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of places within the ecosystem that are not necessarily super forward facing that, uh, have, uh, portals where people can get access to inventory through brands or, you know, there's a bunch of bunch of places where tickets are distributed where you can kind of accommodate for that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's um, as far as opportunities go, how to discount without discounting or how to um, give people access to distressed inventory or free inventory or whatever without destroying your brand value. Exactly. And it's not like it's a brand, brand new concept. It's just, we're creating pipes to facilitate that. Oh yeah. No, you know, absolutely. Or what it is. Because I mean, the thing is, is like, I was just reading an article before we got online about Nicki Minaj having to do uh, two for one deals on t- like off, just off of Ticketmaster in the UK. And I was like, on that's going to ruin, she's like really going to struggle to go back and play these big rooms ever again, you know, for the next 10 years because they're always going to be like, well, she was running discounts, right? And it was two for one deals on her tickets. I mean, that's, it's like something you can't rebound from. It's just, that's just the way it is. But figuring out how to get those tickets into people's hands without it seeming like, oh, Nicki Minaj is not selling well, right? That's a real opportunity. Totally. I, yeah, fortunately, um, I don't know if we were talking about this now or, or another time, but you know, I, I like to surround myself. I have a lot of smart friends. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of uh, opportunities around the different corners in which inventory is, exists that, you know, you can help accommodate for those things while balancing the brand. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I mean, my, my point of view on this, and this is what was like, it's always been interesting to me uh, about any of these tools that are going to open the door to getting more people in, is that if I fe- I've always felt, and this may be because I started out in nightclubs where you were, you know, the conversation was always like, well, how do we increase, and this is a reflection of my age, uh, get our check average up a quarter, right? And if I can get people in the door, then I know that I can monetize their experience. And if I'm, and if I do it well, I monetize it in a way that they thank me for it and they want to come back and give me more of their money. And that's always been my point of view. Um, so like something like what you're, you're talking about here and, you know, especially when it revolves around like different ways to distribute the inventory, um, in a manner that doesn't destroy or just detract from the brand is really powerful because, Hey, if I give you a $25 ticket, but you, you know, which might have been fifty dollars at the start, but I get you to come in and also buy a couple of drinks um, and a T-shirt and some of these other things that you might not have spent before. I've got you to spend more money. Your experience has been better. You're going to be more willing to come back, um, and everybody's still happy because you still you got more money than you started out with, and it's you, you know exactly you know who the customer is. So that's valuable, right? You can monetize that. I mean, it's all these things. It's like really opportunities that people yeah. are just missing. Yeah, and look, I, I think for me, my, my approach is always, you know, having an understanding of all that is a foundational piece to making, you know, decisions. However, the the approach is from from the way I've kind of kind of always approached things is is from the fan, is from the rights holder, and then backing into the business from having that experience be right. And I think that you gain all of the things that you're expressing by treating the first part right. And you talk to a lot of people and that piece is 
like forgotten. Like it's like the last word coming out of the business's mouth is the fan, which is bananas. Well, it's lip service to the fan. The fans <laughs> always first on their lips, but last in their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I think you 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 you. I, I am a, I am determined to prove to the world, not that I'm not the only person doing this, but um, or at least act in a fashion to the world that you do not need to be destructive to uh, have uh, success and opportunity and do good things. Yeah, no, it's um, the an approach focus thing and treat people well, and that actually it does not uh, it doesn't mean uh, whatever people kind of express that to mean from the other side of things, weakness, naivety, whatever, whatever it is that people hold on that side. Yeah, no, it it, it was interesting that when you talk about the customer focus and like being on it, because then you start describing it in terms that would be, I think, uh, lumped in with design thinking, which I was like, who knew that they needed a whole concept for like, just treat people the way you would want to be treated. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the whole philosophy to be like <laughs> treat somebody well, like a no, don't treat them like a jerk. <laughs> it it it's meaningful. I mean the 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 world is set up in a way these days where it's easy to just turn the other direction and jump somewhere else. And if you treat people like shit, they're gonna look for options. You know. Well, that's sort of the art. The the conversation I have with so many people is you know, and every so often I even get the uh, the the tag, which I, I love when I hear it, is that you, you're too focused on the customer. And I go, well, you know, if you came up in the environment where I did, right, which was like starting out in nightclubs um, and then like really being, um, you know, getting my business education through learning like all of the lessons of Peter Drucker, you only have a customer. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. And I think like, like you said, too often the customer is paid lip service, but nobody thinks about the customer really, right? It's like, Mm-hmm. until it's too late. And, I, and and that's like when you're focusing so much of your energy on stopping a broker um, from maybe collect, which to me, the brokers, a lot of cases are more, good marketing vehicles for, oh. for tickets. So trying to stop them in one or 2% of t- the cases um, at the exclusion of 98% of other uh, opportunities and all the customers it's just short-sighted and it, and it becomes like it's really problematic because I'm, you're I'm, pushing people to go, I'm going to go to dinner and I'm going to watch the game on the, the TV at the bar while I have a couple beers because I know when I get to the, the stadium, the, the beers are going to be Bud Light Lime at $15 and my seat's going to be a long way away. So I'd rather just go have a nice beer at the bar and a burger and my seat's going to be better because they have high definition like I'm, I'm with you, man. Like I, you know, I've been in the music industry for 20 years and you know, my perspective is, uh, relative to ticketing in the current landscape is, and from my experience is let's not do what the record labels did. This right. exists. It's not going anywhere rather than trying to crush it out. I would rather take an approach of embracing these things. And I think that's where you gain real power. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. That's the, um, you look at the world, not as you want it to be, but as, as it is. And then you, you take action based on the trends that are already evident because there are a lot of trends that, you know, people want to pretend aren't there, right? You know, because like a lot of the new technologies are driven by like, well, I think this is going to be next. But what happens because you're not doing the things that are already present well, right? You know, it's like to me, again, it's like how do you market an event and a concert, a sport, a performer 
you know, some, so much of that could be improved right now. And we already know that there's the tools available for this, right? Distributing the ticket in a way that is reflects what customers want, what the fans want, right? Um, instead of making it difficult for, you know, fans and customers to distribute the ticket in a way that's easy for them, let's not make it difficult. Let's get out of their yeah. way, right? It's all these things, like, instead of looking, always chasing the squirrel, just do what's already evident that's already impacting people well. well it's the hard part, right? Like it, it's it's why it gave me kind of the drive to do what we're doing now is just given perspective, you know, from have been I've been around long enough at this point to have some measure of perspective. And it's the hard part is taking that complexity. First of all, knowing where that complexity exists and having those doors open in the in the you know, looking under the, being able to see under and behind the closed doors and, and see kind of the realities of how things actually work. It's taking that complexity and how do you take that complexity and make it into something really simple, mm-hmm. which is the hardest part. I, I always like, again, music industry, like I was looking at it like a pop song. It's right. like, okay, that pop song is like four notes. It's like, okay, go make Let It Be then. Good luck. <laughs> you know, like... Well, there's genius in simplicity, though, right? I mean, that's the thing that you learn over time, or at least hopefully you learn, is that if you have to make it super, super complicated, it doesn't make you seem smarter. Making it simple is what makes you seem smarter. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of the complicated (laughs) conversations you have out there. I always tell people that if somebody's trying to make it super complicated for you, it's because they're trying to steal something from you. (laughs) Something going on there. You've used a lot of big words. I have no idea what you're actually talking about. Talk to me like I got a fourth grade education, please. (laughs) So so let me, so let me, let's go back to the project admission to what you're working on now. If you Mm. could make, if you waved your magic wand, right. And, uh, you know, and I know I just went on a discourse about focusing on what's right in front of you. You know, what would be like three or, three or four things that you know either if people start using you you would you, you help improve or like three two or three things that would um that you want to see improved and changed um uh, you know that'll be that would be helpful to you know bring back the customer focus or bring back you know kind of the intimacy and the connection between the artist the performer uh the team and the fan yeah i mean for me and I, an ideal world is people don't even know who the hell we are and I, and they don't, they don't even feel it when they're working through our platform. And I would like to see a place where we kind of connect these broken pieces and have the ticket the, really the, the crux of what we're doing is help turn a ticket into a license, which it is tickets, a product right now. I want to help turn a ticket into a license. And whichever ways and whatever ways we could do that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting there. I can't, I can't, um, unfortunately like unveil all the different things that are about to, about to go down, but we're, you know, we're connecting these pieces in a big way from the primary and the secondary side of things. And all, there's a bunch of different layers within that, that we're also connecting into. And, you know, uh, I like the idea of being this rail and just kind of helping facilitate the, the connection between these, these yeah and i think you know it's one of those ideas that gets pushed out and to the point where it becomes um like a buzzword and meaningless but creating something where the ticket between the time you buy it and the time the event's over uh becomes frictionless like the whole process becomes a little bit more frictionless it's going to be it's going to be valuable because i know that you know 
every point in the process where there's a, an impediment, some kind of obstacle between yeah, I, you and purchases, it's a certain percentage of people just drop off and they well, don't come back. Yeah, the way I say it is rather than friction, the way I always describe it is like we are trying to build uh, a platform that goes where the river flows. Right. No, yeah. it's I, I and I like it because I think that you know it, you make it easy, fun, um, and I guess acceptable for people to do these things. They, they will reward you, right? Um, or you'll find out that maybe the stuff that you're offering and selling to people isn't what they want, which is also a very valuable lesson because don't try to <laughs> you know give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's sometimes easy. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the stuff. Problem that's real. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Stop making up problems that don't exist. Which I know, if uh, you you were to read like Wired or like the New York Times Business Press, would be like basically a um, describe Silicon Valley. It was like most of the things are problems trying to find a problem for uh, that doesn't exist. Um, Yeah, let's just solve the real problems. Um, So yes. So Stephen, how do people find you on the internet? Uh, you can go to projectadmission.com. We've got some basic information there and, you know, hit us up if you want to discuss further. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think they should check you out. Um, I think, you know, this is really, really a, a cool idea that you're working on. I think, it, you know, I think it can add a lot of value to people, which has sort of been, you know, the driving force behind a lot of what I do, because again, I, we offer people something that they want, which is experiences that are unique. So we just got to get out of our own way in a lot of cases. And, and this, I think your tool, you know, really creates that opportunity for people. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, look, we're having fun. There's a lot, a lot to be done out there and we're having a lot of fun kind of building the connections. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this for me. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Stephen Glicken from Project Admission for taking the time to be on the Business of Fun podcast. As always, you can find me on my website. It's www.davewakeman.com where you're going to find my blog, information about me. There's going to be some upcoming programs that I'm going to be doing. Um, I've got one planned in L.A. for June 5th, which you can find out more by emailing me at dave at davewakeman.com, and I'll get you some information about that. But there's other ones planned for uh, Chicago, New York, and London. So uh, also in my hometown, D.C. Uh, So keep visiting the website regularly. The blog is updated daily, so it's awesome. You can find me on the social medias. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at DavidWakeman, or just at DavidWakeman, not .com. If you do know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, because he hasn't tweeted since 2014, I think, please let tell him to let me have it. I would love to have that. Um, as always, I want to thank you for listening. If you dig what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio now, I believe. Um, We're on almost all of the major platforms at this point. So subscribe. uh, Leave a review. That would really be awesome. And if there's something you've learned, if you could share it with just one person. That's all I ask. Just one person. It would be great. It'll help make sure that I can continue to deliver this great content uh, that you uh, seem to enjoy and learn a lot from, and that I know I definitely most certainly do. Uh, Finally, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. As always, you know that by partnering with Booking Protect, you're going to give your customers the opportunity to have a better, more customized buying experience. You're going to give people peace of mind in their purchases, which is very important as buying cycles and the on-sale dates move earlier and earlier 
and you know into the future away from the date of the show and you and your organization can create a brand new revenue stream that comes strictly by giving people exactly what they want so to find out more you should visit www.bookingprotect.com once again that's www.bookingprotect.com the global leaders in refund protection and until next time thank you for listening i'll see you soon and take it easy